and um, I've also got the text printed before you. We have been working our way now this semester through the Gospel of Mark, uh, mainly thinking through who is Jesus, um, talking about his life and his teachings, and um, we've, we've done so because if um, if we don't have the Jesus of the Bible, then we have a Jesus of our own imagination. We have a Jesus that we've made up. And if we have a Jesus that is only a Jesus after our own imaginations, uh, then he's going to look a lot like us. He's going to have my preferences, my Jesus is, and your Jesus is going to have your preferences, and he's just going to let me be and do and think and feel uh, what I already like to do and think and be and feel and say for you. But what we want is a Jesus who um, is different than us, who can actually help us and intervene in our lives. And so we've been looking at Mark and the real Jesus. And tonight we're looking at a text in which Jesus encounters a man with a um, life-dominating and distorting problem, a leper. And now I want us to see how Jesus interacts with him, how he ministers to him, and what that means for us. And so let me invite you to consider Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. This is God's word. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Amen. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fade because the breath of the Lord blows on them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. So... May he write it on our hearts tonight. I want you to think about the problem of this leper. The problem of the leper who Jesus heals. And then I I want you to think of the power of Jesus who heals the leper. And then I want to work through some practical practical implications of that uh, in our lives, both individually and corporately as a community. Okay, So that's where we're headed. And in the first place, I want you to think of the, the, the problem of this leper. And uh, consider the trouble that he was in. Okay, Think about this man that the Lord came to, came to heal. He's got this infectious disease called leprosy. Now, there are a whole variety of kinds of leprosy in the Old Testament described. And so we're not entirely sure what this skin disease would have been if it was leprosy as we commonly think of it today, which is also called Hansen's disease. Then it was an incredibly debilitating problem. Um, we don't know that that's the kind that he had, but a, a guy named Dr. Paul Brand, who spent his whole life working with leprosy patients in third world nations, and wrote a book about it called Pain, the Gift Nobody Wants, described the problem of lepers this way. 
what happens is the nerves uh, in the body at the extremities uh, quit working. And so you don't feel pain in your fingertips and toes and nose and ears and earlobes. And what happens then is you might step on a nail and not know it and walk around with a nail in your foot for weeks unless you're paying close attention. Or you might get frostbite and not be aware of it. You might accidentally stick your hand in a fire and burn yourself and be unaware. And so you would have all these, uh, potentially anyway, cuts and wounds and open sores. And your flesh would begin to rot away. And there's nothing you can do about it. Now, we don't know that that's what happened, but what Dr. Brand would do is he would send cats home with his third world patients to protect them from the rats that would otherwise nibble at their extremities at night while they're sleeping, while these lepers were totally unaware. Now, this man may have had something that was closer to just a nasty skin blemish that was kind of contagious, but it would be no less socially isolating, it was no less problematic for him in his community because it was potentially contagious, and the Old Testament said, if you've got this leprosy skin disease, you have, to, you have to stay outside of the community. You can't be inside the community. And outside that community, you had to say things like, unclean, unclean, to keep everybody away from you. And so a person who had this would be uh, taken out of their home. Can you imagine living life apart from your wife or husband, your children, your parents, your siblings, all your loved ones, you couldn't go into town and worship with the community that was important to you, you couldn't go to the parties, the the marriage celebrations, you couldn't attend the funeral services, you couldn't rub shoulders with people you loved and people who loved you. It was socially isolating and um, you were in a sense cast away from the community. But more than that, on top of that, People tended to think that you were therefore cursed by God. Yet the ancient world considered it a mark of God's displeasure against you. And they thought of you as being cursed by him. At least many did. And so, as well, it was thought to be incurable. At least the doctors couldn't do anything for you. And in this passage, after the man is healed, Jesus says, Now go show yourself to the priest. But he doesn't tell him to do that ahead of time because you couldn't get a doctor or a priest to make you clean. All you could do is have them kind of certify that you are clean. There was nothing any human could do to help you. A priest could pronounce you, but not make you clean. And so this guy has has a total, massive, life-transforming disease. It's infectious. It's contagious. He may be rat-eaten. He's humanly incurable. Everybody thinks he's probably God-cursed. And he's socially isolated from the company he loves. That is a big, big, big problem. And I want to just pause and say this. We should never be surprised when people we know even ourselves, have massive, total life-dominating problems. Maybe not leprosy, but we'll get to that in a moment. We should never be surprised when people tell us 
They've got things that shock others, that distance them from others, that make them feel like God stands against them. Never be surprised by that. And so here's this leper. He's got this massive problem, and he makes a mad dash for life, rushing up to Jesus, throwing himself down at the feet of Jesus and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And so Jesus uh, is for him a source of help, and he hopes in Jesus to be merciful to him, not only to heal him, but actually also to protect him Because this man has now done what he is not supposed to do. He's now entered the community and and come right up next to another human being. And, And at least potentially you can imagine the fear of a crowd, of a community. Maybe moms and dads in a neighborhood saying, this guy has no right to be here. He's threatening all of us with the life that he lives. You can imagine this guy being potentially beaten with sticks having stones thrown at him by the crowd. And so he's, he's depending on Jesus to have mercy and heal him, but he's also in a sense saying, and, and you, you're going to have to do it and protect me as well. And so um, if you are willing, he says, you can make me clean. Uh, think of this guy's faith. He's saying, I know I've got a big problem that nobody else can solve, but I'm convinced that you can Please have mercy on me. And nobody else can help him. So what I, what I want to say to you from all that is this, because Jesus is going to help him, that there are no problems so big in your life, Jesus can't help you. He can help this guy. He can help you. Now the second thing I want you to see is the power that Jesus and the compassion that Jesus then manifests to this man with this massive problem. And it's a man who is at that very moment disobedient. He's not only diseased, but he's disobedient. As we've just said, he's not supposed to be in town at the feet of Jesus. He's supposed to be standing far off saying, unclean, don't come near me. And so the question becomes, will Jesus... Have mercy on him and help him. At the very moment the man asking for it is functionally rebelling against God's word which said, stay out of the community. Do you, do you see that here? Or um, is Jesus going to say to him, get away from me and start doing what the Bible told you to do and then you might get some help from me. Wait for me to come out to you. In other words, is he saying, is Jesus going to say to him, you need to shape up and start doing what you've been told. And then maybe I'll help you. Now, now the leper here doesn't doubt in any way Jesus' ability to heal, but he also doesn't take for granted the willingness of Jesus to heal. He, he says to him, if You are willing, and I don't presume to demand, but I hope in your mercy. And and, 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 uh, that may seem a little subtle, but I think it's it's a beautiful recognition that that he, he understands he doesn't have a claim by rights 
on Jesus being merciful to him. If that was the case, what he'd really be asking for is justice. Do justice to me. Because it would be wrong for you to do anything else. But he doesn't say that to him. He doesn't say, give me what I deserve. He says, I just need you. Have mercy on me. I know that you can heal me, Jesus, if you want to heal me. Um, and Jesus looks at this man who is at that very moment being disobedient and says, I am willing. Be clean. And so Jesus is willing to heal people with massive, totally life-dominating, dysfunctional problems, even when at the moment they ask Him to help, they have nothing to offer Him but uncleanness. They have nothing to offer Him except a life of disobedience. You understand that what you are seeing here is what God is like. Right? That Jesus is in His burst of power doing what no human being could do, curing the incurable, displaying His deity. In Jesus, the Bible says, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And so what you are seeing here is God in flesh coming to the aid of a disobedient and diseased person. And so Jesus then reaches out in compassion to this man, and he embraces him, and the word touches him is not strong enough for the language used here. He handles him. He grabs him. You can imagine Jesus kind of grabbing hold of him tightly, perhaps by the shoulders, as this man is kneeling before him. And what that would have meant to this man, not just Jesus saying with a word, be clean and healing him, but how emotionally it would have touched the man who hadn't been touched by another human being and loved with uh, compassion and closeness. And so Jesus, um, Jesus wraps his arms around him as it were and heals him. There is a medical condition called failure to thrive that some infants experience who are neglected, uh, usually they're uh, laid up in an orphanage where the workers are overwhelmed and aren't able to get to the children as they're crying for attention. And, and there is, a, there is a, a failure to thrive that can occur in one of these infants in which they will not develop and they will eventually die simply from the lack of human physical touch and closeness. Now, this man isn't in that situation as an adult, but he is, as you can imagine, aching, longing for some human contact. And Jesus, in compassion, reaches out and grabs hold of him because he loves him and has mercy on him. And so you are seeing God in the flesh touch the unclean flesh, and yet he himself remains unclean. He is uncleanness itself. He is health. He is life. And where he touches, he brings health and life. And so then he instructs the disobedient leper to what? Remain silent. He says to him, now don't go shouting off your mouth about all this. What you need to do is what the Old Testament tells you to do, which is if you think you are clean, 
Go to the priest and show him. So what, what, what is that? What is Jesus doing there? He wants him to, and, and it says he sternly warns him. And the, the word is um, uh, often used, um, uh, it originally meant anyway, to snort like a horse. Uh, it came to be associated with a heated exhortation. Um, even anger and indignation in certain, certain circumstances. I'm not saying Jesus is mad at the man right now, but he is strongly insisting that this man remain silent and go to the priest. Now, what's up with that? and What is happening there? It's another evidence of the kindness of Jesus to the man. Um, it's likely that, that he's, he, he may even have three reasons in mind. He may be saying to him, look, I care about your welfare, not just that you're whole, but that you be reunited properly into your community. Because this guy's on, as it were, like the FBI's most wanted list. I mean, you know, his picture is, as it were, hanging in the village. Don't go near this guy. He's got leprosy. And so he wants him to go to the priest, to have the priest certify he's clean so that he can be reintroduced among all his neighbors and no one will fear him, but they'll welcome and embrace him. Jesus wants that for this guy. And Jesus knows it's required by the Old Testament law as well, and he doesn't want to be falsely accused himself of encouraging continuing disobedience. So he tells him to go do what the Bible told him to do. And he does want the man going to the priest to show that he's been made clean by Jesus. He does want that to be, as the Bible says, a testimony to the priests, even a testimony against, standing against, as it were, the religious leaders of that day. Because what are they going to say to him? Well, how'd you get clean? And he's going to say, well, Jesus did it. He just said, be clean, and it all went away. And that would stand as a testimony to them of the power of the, even the divinity of this miracle worker. Because no human could make you clean. And so it, it does, even now as we sit here, stand as a testimony to us of the deity of Christ, of the power of God in human flesh before us. And we either believe to our good or we reject, to our own hurt. And so here Jesus says, you know, go show yourself because I want you I want you to be right with your community. And let, let all of this then teach you. Not only that there is no problem that you have that's too big for Jesus to help you with, but there is no problem, there is no pollution. There is no dirtiness, filthiness, as it were, in your life that Jesus is unafraid to deal with. Um, well, what does all this mean for you and me? Well, let me have you consider a couple of things. You're saying, well, that's all fascinating as a Bible story, and maybe I believe that, but I can't really relate to this guy. I don't have leprosy. Well, the Bible says we all do have... By the way, are there lights in here? The, uh, the what lights? Is there a switch right there? Um, well, all the more reason to move on more quickly. Um, 
Here's the deal. You don't have leprosy, but the Bible says we all have a total life-transforming problem that is potentially contagious. It is humanly incurable. It is socially isolating. It is spiritually debilitating. And it is, in fact, God-cursed. He stands against it, and it is called sin. And it's not a skin-deep uh, disease. It goes right to the heart. Now, I realize some of you are saying, well, come on. I mean, you're leaping from a, a skin disease called leprosy to we're all lepers? Yes, we are. The Bible wants, when it depicts to us the dreadfulness of sin, will use words like you have open sores. You, you have pussy wounds. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet, you're unclean before God. That's the way the Bible speaks of sin. And you can't heal yourself of that. And let me just take as an example, and we're going to spend a few moments on it, but as an example of a powerful sin that many men are eaten up by and fear powerless to overcome. One that causes personal and relational problems. One that Christ is able and is willing to heal. And that example is lust fed by pornography. It is heart-fed lust stimulated by porn. Ladies, do you know that the porn industry is larger than the automobile industry in America? That, that the, the production and sale and distribution of X-rated videos and magazines and everything else is larger than General Motors, Chrysler, Toyota, Honda, and Ford in the United States of America. It's a larger business by uh, volume and dollar. It's a serious problem today. And it can seem like to those gripped by it to be unshakably addictive. And it internally rips you up. And it has a socially isolating dimension, at least in this regard. It tends to isolate men from women. Men from having real relationships with women. Why? Because it encourages the thoughts of the heart of a man to fixate on women as objects. To think of them as... um, Objects of gratification. Uh, To see them only with eyes. And to look at their body parts. And to care less about the mind and the heart and the soul and the person you're trying to relate to. Uh, But rather to use them as an object of lust. And so that creates walls between a man who's who's, um, eaten up with porn. And normal relationships with women. Because when he tries to talk to them, he's oftentimes, because he's trained his heart this way, he's thinking her, of her only as an object to satisfy himself. And listen, if, if this is what you have been feeding your heart on, marriage is not going to help you here. Marriage is going to expose that heart that has begun to flip from one woman One woman to another woman to another woman. As you have tired of one body type, you exchange it for another body type. As you tire of one act, you exchange it for somebody who else will do another act. And it makes men dissatisfied in their marriages. 
In fact, um, you know, secular uh, statistics will show that men who use porn engage in intimate relationships with their own spouse, not more but less. Not with more satisfaction, but less satisfaction. If you don't sense its destruction now in your life, I assure you, it will become increasingly destructive, even as you try to get married. And and so I would say to the women in RUF, if, if, if you're marrying, if you're if you're ending up marrying a man who won't deal with uh, porn issues in his life, if he won't take action to, to uh, hinder himself, to protect and guard himself and his heart and his relationship with you, then you should get out of that relationship because it's ultimately going to eat him up and your relationship up. It also creates problems between men and men. Uh, this is why. Uh, Hitler, in, in not only in World War II, dropping bombs on Allied forces, also dropped pornography into the lines of the Allied forces. Because he knew, on the one hand, of course, that it was kind of a subtle or not so subtle way of saying to the men, guys, what are you doing fighting a war over here? Why don't you go back to America and you know, find some female companionship? But it was also a way of destroying the integrity between friendships. Because a man who, on the outside, wants his peers to think well of him, wants to be thought of as a man with integrity, wants to be thought of as a man who's upright and good, as many men do, but who is secretly, internally nurturing this secret lust. Uh, He has a hard time being honest with other men. Sin does that to all of us. We, We want to hide, don't we? We don't want anybody to know our problems if it's Lust or something else. We're ashamed of it ourselves. And uh, so it has a destructive effect on all of our relationships when we, when we won't deal with, but rather want to hide and, and keep secret our own sins, those sins that dominate our existence. And so that is just one example. And we could pile up examples, could we not? Um, that leave us all alone in our sin, that maybe for some it's, you know, the constant use of alcohol to numb themselves. For others, it's binge eating. For others, it's compulsive exercise. For others, it's, um, it's just uh, this compulsion to steal or to, to always lie, even when it doesn't make sense, but just because you can get away with it and it's what you always do destructive of honesty in our relationships and it's personally destructive and what I want you to hear tonight is this, that Jesus is able and Jesus is willing to heal your diseases He can make you clean, He can forgive you and with mercy by His power He can help you There are all kinds of resources in Him to bring about wholeness and health over time as you relate to Him. Listen, now maybe for some of you, your disease here isn't one of these what you would call gross immoral sins. Maybe the disease at work in your heart that's like leprosy is actually the pride 
that says, I'm not like any of those people you just described. I don't have any of those life-dominating problems. And what you're really saying is, and I don't really need Jesus. And you're so dominated by your self-righteousness, you don't want what he has to offer you. There's a a great story told about a, a, a countess, Lady Huntington, who listened to the great famous preacher George Whitfield. I don't know if that name is familiar to you, but he would preach the gospel and she loved to hear him. And so she wanted all her friends to hear him and so she would send letters out and invite her friends and she got a letter back from a friend saying, uh, basically, and if one could read their notes, they could give you the quote, but basically, how can you, how could you stand to hear that you are this vile wretch with this wicked and sinful heart? I can't stand to hear that about myself. And so she wouldn't come here about a Savior who has mercy on and loves people who are vile. And it was her pride that stood in her way. And maybe for you it's not your pride that keeps you from Jesus. Maybe for you it is your shame. Yes, the advantage is I should go. In fact, I'm going to go to my sweet little iPhone app we call the Flashlight. We're almost done, trust me, but this is, well, evidently I think it's worth hearing. Come on now. Maybe it won't do it while I'm recording. Um, So as it were off the cuff, maybe for you it's not pride that keeps you from Jesus. Oh, you are the man. Maybe for you it it is, it is um, that sense of shame about the things in your life that, that actually keeps you from Jesus. You know, I don't, I don't know if you've experienced this, but in my own life, I've experienced this. I am, I am more ashamed to admit to Jesus my problems than I, am, than I am ashamed to do the things that are a problem. Um, why am I more ashamed to say to Jesus, I lost, than I am to engage in lost? But, but, but that's so often the case. And so maybe it's your shame that keeps you, you're embarrassed maybe. And I want you to hear this, that the Bible says Jesus is not ashamed to be called our elder brother and to own us as family. Maybe for you it's just simply your self-confidence. You figure, I can handle my sins Myself, this isn't really that big a problem. When I want to stop, I'll stop. If I need to quit, I can do it. You've not tasted the power of Christ at work in your life because you think you've got it all under control. Don't let that kind of arrogance keep you from help that's available. If you say, Lord, I've got a deep and dirty problem, powerful and destructive, and I can't heal it, but it's too big for you, or I'm too dirty for you, then you're wrong, Jesus says to you. That is a strong win. We're almost done, folks. I'm trying to say this to you. Do not believe the lie that you are pure, and do not believe the lie that you are too impure to be made clean. We're all lepers, present tense. 
And a Christian is like one who's been brought out of a mud pit and who discovers that Jesus has forgiven them. He's promised them total purity in heaven forever. And he is at work now to heal our diseases. He is at work now to expose the areas of our life we didn't know were dirty to bring cleanliness to them. He makes us clean before God and He cleans us every day. And so that's the personal application now for the corporate. And I want to simply say this. RUF is a community, we hope, of people who know that they're lepers embraced by Jesus. And so because of that, we want to embrace others with that same compassion and it will always be easier and I want to say this to you it will always be easier for you to say I'll go to Joplin and help people who need help it will always be easier to exercise that kind of compassion than it will be to have compassion on your roommate whose sin makes you want to run whose problems make you want to stay away from them so where do you get the compassion to help dirty, filthy, diseased people? You get it from having had that compassion brought into your life by the love of Christ. And so um, Jesus says to this man, don't tell anyone what I did. And as one pastor put it, instead the leper does exactly what Jesus said not to do. And he goes and he tells everyone. Because he's excited. And the result is that, well, what's the result? The result is that the leper and Jesus have changed places. Now the leper is in the community and now it's Jesus who has to go out into desolate places. They've exchanged places as it were. And that is a picture of what happens at the end of Jesus' life when on the cross he is crucified outside the gate, outside the community, on a garbage dump. He's taken out to the place of the leper to become a pariah, to become unclean, so that you could be taken in, so that you could be welcomed, so that you could be made clean. Because God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in Him we could become the righteousness of God. How do you get compassion on others? You get it from Jesus. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, thank You for Your Word tonight. We pray that You would heal all of our diseases. That You would show us our need of You and Your cleansing blood. That You would, as we confess our sins, that You would be faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Teach us to love others that nobody else would love. In Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, thanks for coming to RUF tonight. We appreciate it. Stick around. Thanks. That was very helpful. <laughs> Tate with the save.